Hello everybody, welcome back to a new episode. Um, <coughs> I do apologize, I'm a little cold going on, but today we're going to actually talk about the Messianic Prophecy and the difference of how the rabbis over time have kind of like changed and how the Talmud was explained, the Zohar, stuff like that. Um, so, in chapters 44 and 45 of the book uh, of Isaiah, they were written around 700 BC, and Isaiah prophesies and mentions Cyrus by name. Um, it's prophesied that Cyrus would allow Israel to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Um, when the prophecy was written, Jerusalem's temple was still intact, but... Cyrus was not born. And over a hundred years later, at 586 BC, Jerusalem was conquered and destroyed by the Babylonians. And then later, the Persians con conquered Babylon. King Cyrus of Persia issued a decree to rebuild the city and the temple. All of this happened nearly 160 years after Isaiah made his prophecy. In the same way, the Old Testament contains future prophecies about the Messiah's nature and identity to help his people recognize him. Um, there has been certain, um, certain people that believe that King Cyrus was actually the Messiah, you know. But the thing is, is he didn't fulfill any of the prophecies that was implemented in the bible he the only prophecy he fulfilled was capturing jerusalem and allowing them to rebuild it now king cyrus being persian um what's very interesting is that persia was actually part of it's currently iran and in the iran iraq area is where the garden of eden was supposed to be located um So, a lot of this um, is very much in use to parallelism, which is how I read the Bible. And the parallels of Joseph and David point to the Messiah. Um, for example, you can do the lineage of the Messiah according to 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles 17. He must be a descendant of David and... The mother, um, Miriam, or Mary, uh, comes from the house of David. The birthplace of the Messiah is in Micah 5, which predicts the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. Uh, the time of the first coming. Daniel 9 predicts that the Messiah will come before the destruction of the second temple, and that in the year 32 um, A.D., he um he will be sentenced to a violent death indeed jesus was crucified on 14th nisan which is april in the year of 32 ad um the nature of the messiah's birth like many heroes in the bible who were supernaturally born by barren women um isaiah prophesies that isaiah 7 uh 
in Isaiah 7 that the birth of the Messiah would be supernatural from a virgin maiden. The New Testament describes Jesus' birth, um, his mother Miriam, who is a virgin maiden. Um, what will the nature of the Messiah be? According to Daniel 7, Isaiah 9, and Zechariah 12, the nature of the Messiah will be like the nature of God himself, the embodiment of God to mankind. Um, the New Testament refers to Jesus as the Son of God, one with God and the embodiment of God, just like Metatron, whose character was described hundreds of years after Jesus in the writings of Jewish mysticism and the Zohar. Um... Where the Messiah would live is established in Zechariah 9. The Messiah will enter Jerusalem um, riding on a donkey. He teaches us two things. First, the Messiah won't be some well-born famous rabbi who has millions. Second, that he will live in the land of Israel and will be riding into Jerusalem on a donkey's back merely for the sake of comparison. Uh, Shabbat's um, King Messiah, the... Lubavicker, uh, Ruby, um, basically, uh, whose yellow posters are plastered everywhere in the street and corner of Israel, was not only born in Bethlehem, but he never even set a foot, uh, in either Jerusalem or Israel. Uh, unlike Lubavitcher, um, Jesus was born and raised in Israel and did enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Isaiah 35 um, explains that he'll cure incurable diseases, open the eyes of the blind, heal the disabled, cleanse the lepers, open the ears of the deaf, unbind the tongues of the mute, exercise demons, and resurrect the dead. Jesus uh, cured countless people, exercised evil spirits, and raised the dead. Ironically, according to the Talmud, the rabbis themselves admit to the supernatural powers demonstrated by Jesus and his disciples. However, to them, the miracles were brought about through satanic magical powers. For example, consider what Rabbi Daniel Asur has said to Jesus was a false prophet and he only, um, and he acted only through sorcery, he himself is the embodiment of Satanism. In reality, even during Jesus' lifetime, the rabbis accused him of performing supernatural miracles by the power of Satan and Satan's name. However, Jesus easily refuted the claims when he answered them. Every kingdom... Uh, divided against itself is laid waste, and no city nor house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. Matthew twelve twenty five through 26 The response to Israel and the Gentiles This was also prophesied in advance in Isaiah 53, and... Um, Psalm 22, the Messiah was to be rejected by his own people as they degraded him and led him to his death. And um, the Gentiles, the book of Jonah, makes it clear that, God's of, that God of Israel does not belong to or does not limit um, himself 
to the nation of Israel. Uh, this has also been taught by um, the um, the rabbinic um, Halasha. He loves all of his creation. Yes, even the Gentiles. Um, just like the rabbis nowadays, Jonah the prophet had difficulties accepting the message. But just as God promised, Abraham from the seed would come a blessing to all Gentiles. The Messiah was indeed the stone of the builders rejected. As prophesied in Psalm 118, um, but the one that God chose to be the cornerstone, Jesus was made a foundation stone on which God built up and sent out blessings. He had promised to all the other nations around the world since Jesus' time to this day, millions of Christians believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And was it the rabbis who brought that message? No, it was actually Jesus who brought that message to the Gentiles and his apostles. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and Zechariah 12 um, talk about his death. Um, and there's three main things that we have to understand that Jesus would be. One, he would be Jews, uh, uh, Jewish. Two, he would be born in Bethlehem. And three, he would die in 32 AD. So... Right now, we got the parallelism of um, Isaiah in. Now, we're going to kind of go into the book of the Zohar, um, which is actually very interesting because the, um, the Jewish Testament is consist uh, consistent with the Jewish scriptures. Hundreds of years before the book of the Zohar was written, John describes Jesus in the gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God with God and the word was God and he he was in the beginning with God and the word was God all things are made through him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men the book of the Zohar uh, describes Metatron's character and nature as the one who is dressed in God's image and God's representation to his creation. Conveniently, the Jewish sages invented him as a substitute for Jesus, whom they rejected. If this is not clear, um, then uh, it'll be explained a little bit. The concept of Metatron um, was explored again in more detail in chapter 11, why the Messiah must be God. Um, the Son of God is Ancient of Days, is Messiah. In Hebrew scriptures, um, make use of the term son quite often to describe the sons of Israel who obey and follow God in the New Testament as well. The believers in Jesus are called the sons of God. Therefore, there's many sons. But while the kings and the angels and the sons of Israel were adopted 
by God as sons. The Son of God was not adopted. He always existed. He was eternal. The Son of God is the way in which the creator of the universe reveals himself to his creation. In the Hebrew scriptures, the prophet Daniel wrote that the Son of God would come into the clouds of heaven. That means in a supernatural way. Um, in the eternal nature as the Ancient of Days, verses uh, Daniel 7, verse 9. The prophet of Micah um, says, Who's coming forth from is from of old, uh, from ancient days. Micah 1, verse 2. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For us a child is born, and who is given the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. When we think about this, the child who receives the name of God, Wonderful Counselor, means that he will have supernatural knowledge. Mighty God indicates that he will take part in the very nature of the Almighty God himself. Everlasting Father speaks not only to his eternal nature, but um, his uh that he himself is uh, with God, um, the Eternal Father. And the Prince of Peace means that he is the definition of peace. Anyone who would like to receive spiritual peace will have to go through the Son of God. <clears throat> Psalm 2 is another prophecy of the Messiah, even as Jewish sages admit. Both Rashi and Radek um, attribute Psalm 2 to the King Messiah, but the verse but verse 7 needs um, prayerful attention. The Lord said to me, you are my son today, I have begotten you. When we think about that, we have to go through different scriptures to understand that there's different concepts and different uh, variations. Um, a lot of people that have read the Zohar and stuff refer to Metatron as the uh, spiritual like evolution almost to what Enoch was when he was taken up. That Enoch became Metatron, some sort of supernatural angel. But <clears throat> according to what the Zohar explains and the, what the actual Old Testament prophecies say, it's actually co contradicting <clears throat> because Jesus is actually the one who is attributed all these natures, not Enoch. The closest that you'd probably understand Enoch because he was taken before his time and so has Elijah. Mm -hmm. They would probably be more attributed to the um, two witnesses. Um So in conclusion to all of that, the Son of God is the name of the Messiah in the Hebrew Scriptures, to worship and praise the Son of God, and the same as to worship and praise God. And all this stands in absolute, con uh, absolute contrast against pagan mythologies in which one God connects with a goddess, 
altogether they produce a son in term of son of God. Now, in that aspect of what they're what we're like explaining right now is that when we understand pagan mythologies and we understand um, how a, fe- a female goddess and a male god will create a child. Um, that is actually in contrast to um, Gnosticism, which Gnosticism talks about the Heavenly Father being a divine being. And um, Sophia, I think her name was, was the like the eternal goddess that was um, attributed to what the Holy Spirit would be that created Jesus out of that. Um, in the same aspect, that is also in Gnosticism has the Demiurge and so on and so on. Um, we already explained Metatron versus Jesus and how that they, the Zohar has been written hundreds of years later after the New Testament. So it's to discredit Jesus for who he is. And in many cases, the way that um, certain churches today, like Catholicism and other ways of them worshiping specific manners, is not the way that Jesus would have taught us to worship. We understand this because the way it's written in the Bible. Now, that's also um, in comparison to Protestants, too. Protestants also have very similar traits to what Catholics do. They just choose not to honor the saints and go by the catechisms and, you know, the rituals and stuff like that, because it does seem very pagan. But when we attribute the Protestant doctrines and the um, reformations of how uh, people today are um, going through their Bible teachings and stuff, we do see a very big um, decline in how it was truly meant to be. Um, continuing further in this, we uh, we go into um, let's see here. We'll go into the Talmud real quick and. Um, it was said in Zechariah's words that, um, as it was said on the Messiah, son of mm-hmm. Joseph, who was killed, <clears throat> as it was written, they look upon me, whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn him. This is Rabbi Moshe El Sekai, Selka. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce that last word. Um, but he was the one who wrote that. And he adds, they look on me. And fix their eyes on me in complete repentance. And then they saw that the one that they pierce is the Messiah, the son of Joseph. And they will take upon himself all the blame of Israel. Uh, Rabbi El Shike um, understood that Isaiah and Zechariah prophesied that the Messiah would suffer and die for their transgressions and iniquities. Rashi, in Sukkah uh, 5271, interpreted Isaiah 1210, saying, The land shall mourn, 
and found in the prophecy of Zechariah, and he prophesizes um, of the future, and that they shall mourn in the account of the Messiah, and the son of Joseph shall be slain. Indeed, today, 2,000 years after the Messiah suffered the transgressions of all, more and more Jews recognize that Jesus gave his life for them and took up their sins upon him. And many references of the suffering in the Talmud and in the Midrash, Midrash and in the Zohar um, among the Old Testament interpreters serve as a reminder that the classic Judaism actually believed in a suffering Messiah. Jesus would be the most famous Jew of all time, was beaten, rejected, humiliated, and was hung on a cross. And he is the Messiah to whom the Jewish people can identify with as such a famous people group throughout history and who have also beaten, rejected, humiliated, and almost destroyed their own suffering Messiah. Jesus... <clears throat> for the one who is the suffering Messiah, gives life, redeems, and provides victory to anyone who puts their trust in him. It really <clears throat> paints a picture to how the New Testament and the Old Testament go hand in hand. And when we look at things such as like the Quran and... um when we look at like the Quran and we look at um, other things such as uh, the Zohar and the Kabbalah and all these other things that people try to take in, you know, reverence to be a higher antiquated thing, we also um, take into understanding that they contradict a lot of the things that are in the Bible, which is actually older and more preserved than what has been rewritten hundreds of years later. Um, for example, um, in most cases, people believe that there's three heavens, the sky, the space, and then the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in the Quran, they believe in five heavens. You know, um, when we understand all these different uh, aspects and attributes, not to dis diminish anything that other people believe, but we have to understand that their belief system is put into a book that doesn't have the historical accuracy and the the building of the actual spirit that... God has given the prophets and everybody else throughout the, the time frames. They're putting all their, um, their belief systems into uh, a single prophet that couldn't read or write um, that was dictated by an angel that was saying his name was Gabriel. So when we go through a lot more of this stuff, um, this is actually a very interesting one, the plague of the original sin. Now, the original sin is not a foreign Christian invention, but appears in ancient Jewish thought, too. 
which is very interesting. When God created mankind, he gave them freedom. Freedom is a good thing. But if human beings are meant to be free, it is impossible to force them to obey God. Adam and Eve were the first human beings who were given this enormous power of free will. And they took advantage of it. Then they rebelled against God's command, and in the Garden of Eden, and the tragic consequences of their choices affected all of us. This is what is now known as original sin, which is to be the thought of a very Christian concept and not Jewish. So, is this original sin true? Bad choices that people make have darkened the world and affected all of humanity in many ways and forms. This is not just a case of Christian interpretation. The words of Rabbi Shemuel Eliyahu um, wrote the original sin meaning the sin of the first man in the Garden of Eden is the root of all sins. Just like the plague passes from one person to another, at times it affects hundreds of millions of people. The original sin which was committed by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden affected everybody. And all of mankind. Sin is the most deadly and widespread plague ever. It corrupts the hearts of all people and all over the world at all times, with no exceptions. There's no vaccine for it. There's no treatment for it. The only thing we can do is put our faith in God, because he is the only one who can cure us of our sins. And even with that, we still fall short of the sins, and it becomes an epidemic. And when we see the world today, it's even a bigger epidemic than it was before. The problem is that, though, when we go through this, um, the Babylonian Talmud, um, San 99-71, this Messiah must have a different kind of human nature from the other human beings, a godly nature which which the plague of sin cannot affect, and indeed it was explained earlier regarding the virgin birth. Even the sages interpreted that the Messiah would be miraculously born without a biological father. The problem is that original sin, a Messiah with a godly nature, and the Messiah with a, without a biological father is all starting to sound too Christian, and certain contemporary rabbis who have decided this is not the first time to contradict the Old Testament of the ancient Jewish sages. Uh, Rabbi G. Segal, who, known for this objection to the um, Messianics, who strongly claims Jews do not believe in the doctrine of the original sin, um, the sages had a very deep faith in this, and it is modern rabbis who will do everything they can to hide Jesus from us. They argue against it, and the Testament, um, the New Testament undeniably validates many sections of the Old Testament regarding original sin, but then so do the old sages consider the following. Um... 
Yelkut Shimoni. Um, he raises a uh, a discussion. When does evil nature enter a man? At the time of birth or at the time of creation? The sages ask whether the evil nature controls people from the time of the fetus is created or whether the time of the baby comes out into the world. Either way, they are accepting humanity's and its sinful nature. <clears throat> the Midrash Deuteronomy um, Rabbah <clears throat> Beyond any doubt that the sages understood that sin is inherited, Moses said, The Lord of the world, there are thirty-six decrees, that if a man breaks one of them, he must be put to death. I did not break any of them. Why do you sentence me to death? He said, In the sin of the first man you die, and as he brought death unto the world. According to this Midrash, um, Moses complains that he was sentenced to death. And he asked to know what sin he committed and he should suffer for. God answers because of the sin of the first man that he will die. Uh, Kitzer um, Shulchan Arach, um, 131 verse 1. In the Halasha, instructions of Yom Kippur Eve, the Day of Atonement, it is customary to carry out the Caparot sacrifices, and in the pre-dawn hours of the day before Yom Kippur, as then the tribute of mercy is the greatest. One that is non-castrated uh, roster for a man and a hen for a woman. For a pregnant woman, both the rooster and the hen. It says that the pregnant woman must have two chickens for caparot, one for her and one for the baby in her womb. Like a, a pregnant woman with AIDS uh, passes the virus of her baby. So no sin passes through the human genome for, <clears throat> from the woman to the fetus. To conclude, this is not a, a foreign Christian invention, but rather... An ancient Jewish thought recognizing the need of atonement and sacrifice for the original sin, which lives in everybody. Denying the wisdom of these particular sages is yet another example of how modern rabbis have taken away the key to knowledge and trying to hide you from Jesus, the only solution to the original sin. Now, that is a very uh, powerful word right there, is the only solution to original sin. See, in Catholicism, when I was being raised in it, from the moment you were born, you are meant to be baptized. And that is supposed to rid you of the original sin. However, there's been consensuses of... Um, the age of um, age of acceptance um, basically uh, that after a certain age you know then you are like at a specific age is when that you, you could be sentenced you know and judged because when you're young you don't know better 
Um, there's also different circumstances, you know, like how they were explaining how they were sacrificing chickens and um, hens and things like that to try to not just alleviate the sins of birth and everything like that, kind of like uh, baptism in um, the Catholic traditions, but they're saying at the very last point that the only way is through Jesus. So it's not being baptized that matters. It's not the, uh, the concept of sacrificing an animal for your atonement. Um, it's Jesus that saves. Now, am I going to go out and chastise anybody who gives a, uh, a child a baptism at, you know, the time of their birth? No, no, that's fine. You know, every child can get baptized and everything like that. But I think it's a very big responsibility to everybody especially the person that chooses this to make the decision on their own and move forward to be baptized because that is when they are choosing it themselves. Um, now, what does the New Testament teach? Jesus taught about love, mercy, and compassion. <clears throat> regarding those who persecute the disciples for the faith, Jesus says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. For if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And, and I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that they may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, verse 9 and 44 through 45. Um... Jesus' disciples continued to teach the same things, such as Paul the, wrote to the Roman believers, <clears throat> Repay no one evil for evil, but give the thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, um, never avenge yourselves. Also, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans twelve seventeen through 19 and 21. To Galatians, he wrote, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, conveying one another. Um, this goes on and on throughout a lot of Paul's scriptures. And the reason when the Apostle John, um, you know, he, uh, he said whenever he says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 2, 19 through 11. 
John three fourteen through sixteen, whoever does not love and abide love whoever does not love abides in death everyone who hates is his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him but this is but this we know love and he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers um as we go through all these different scriptures uh, we understand that the scriptures have never contradicted each other, and many people try to chastise Paul and different um, different apostles that came after the originals. You know, the um, John, Titus, so on and so forth. Um, many people, including Muslims, will also uh, criticize um, Paul specifically, saying that Paul is the one who created Christianity. You know, I've actually come across people that said that, um, Jesus is an invention by, um, Constantine. And this is a, a big issue that I have is that a lot of people ridicule Christians and Messianic Jews to a, such a huge extent because it's the one religion that they just want to hate. And this is this goes by atheists, this goes by pagans, this goes by everybody. Why do they hate the religion so much? Why is it such a chastised religion? Because everything in the Bible preaches peace. But everything that they want to say, you know, preaches intolerance and ignorance. So... But then when you read stuff that are in the Quran, it literally will tell you word for word to kill other people, chop their heads off, you know. It tells you that they can believe in what they want, but then if they don't believe in Islam, then they can, then they deserve to be sentenced to death. <clears throat> the issue with these kind of things, and I'm not chastising Islam, I'm just explaining the differences in the books, and Islam is considered an Abrahamic faith but it contradicts the Old and New Testament. For example, in the Bible, in Deuteronomy 28, God lays out before his people the blessings and the curses, and the blessings uh, and protection if they walk in his ways, and curses and the punishment if they don't. In Deuteronomy 31, 16 through 18, <laughs> Behold, you are about to lay down you're about to lie down with your fathers. This, then, to then, this people will rise and whore after foreign gods among the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evil come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day, because all of the evil that they have done. When we understand God's nature, people will reference the, the scripture of uh, Elisha. And the scripture of Elisha will um, explain such a, 
a more derivative term of when a bunch of children um, were throwing rocks and making fun of Alicia because he's bald. And Alicia prayed to God to curse them. And what ended up happening was a bunch of bears came out and devoured a bunch of children. Now, all these people today don't understand the concept of it. These kids that were attacking Alicia and making fun of him were showing complete disrespect for him. On top of that, Alicia, being a prophet, was one of God's chosen people. When we reference um, the New Testament and when Jesus was crucified, did God not just God just turn uh, his face away from him? No. See, there is a huge earthquake that happened after that, if you remember. So when we go into this and we understand God's nature is God doesn't like sin. He hates it. And with God hating sin, we have so many sorry, so many people that want to give God a stigma of evil because of punishment that we deserve. For example, the flood of Noah. Everybody says, oh, well, God will just flood the whole world and kill everybody. Well, no, did you not read the, the fine print there where everything was going bad? You know, the sons of God came down. They were creating giants. They were uh, fornicating with each other. There was a bunch of bad stuff that was happened. Then they attribute to Abraham with um, him destroying Sodom. God gave them plenty of chances <clears throat> to, you know, find people that deserve to leave, but they didn't. He said that he would save the city, but no, there was not enough good people in there. So God was like, yep, yeah, well, I already knew there wasn't enough there, so I got to get rid of it. Same with the Canaanites. The Canaanites, he wanted them to be destroyed. Now, obviously, they didn't destroy them all. But when we understand the Canaanite religion, they were worshipping gods like Baal and Molech and people that are um, into world religions and comparative religions. They try to attribute Baal as God and they try to look at the Canaanite gods to be the God of Israel. And it's not the truth. What we need to understand is that there's the differences, and the difference between them all is the Canaanite religion is completely opposite to what the God of Israel wanted. God of Israel never wanted to sacrifice children. Now, people will, you know, backtrack me and say, well, he tried to kill Isaac, but no, he didn't. He was testing the faith of Abraham because he gave him a son that Abraham wanted. And to test his faith, he wanted to see if his obedience lied with what he gained or what his faith was. Just like Job, he suffered so much because of something that was attributed with God and Satan. But when it came down to it, Job never lost his faith. And Job was rewarded. <clears throat> when we go to Jesus in the Talmud... Um, basically when we understand the Talmud um, accepts that Jesus did miracles but 
um, in Exodus 20, verse 2, verse 3, I am the Lord your God who have brought you out of the land of uh, Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You have no other gods before me. And one of the pro common prejudices um, that uh, who oppose the followers of Jesus is first that the messianics have taken a man and turned him into a god. The second is that Jesus bewitched enticed and turned people of israel from away from the god of israel towards idol worship the rabbis see jesus as a false messiah rabbi joseph mizrashi um for example agrees that jesus has performed miracles but claims that they were no deed indication that he is the messiah rabbi daniel asur claims that jesus was indeed a false prophet and he acted only by using his powers for sorcery. He is also claims that Jesus himself was the embodiment of Satan. According to the Talmud, um, Tractate uh, Sota 47a, Jesus was allegedly a disciple of the Rabbi Joshua ben uh, Parasha in this fable, Jesus had an altercation with the rabbi and in revenge decided to learn witchcraft in Egypt to lead the people of Israel into sin. The problem with this bizarre legend is that there's as much evidence and historical, historical credibility for it as there is the story of Santa Claus handing out gifts by sliding down chimneys. On Christmas Eve. First of all, the claim has no support outside the Tal um, Talmudic writings, and secondly, it was written hundreds of years after the time of Jesus, and the obviously aim discrediting him and rationalizing it in ways of his supernatural abilities. It is similar to all of a sudden coming up with the claim of Van Gogh's masterpieces that were painted by the powers of a demon possessed by him. Uh, the most embarrassing part of the story is Joshua ben Perarash um, lived in the 2nd century BC, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. So, Jesus could never have been a disciple. It's the same as being told that Benjamin Ziev uh, Herzl lived in the 19th century, was the ninth. Uh, was uh, the disciple of Rabbi Joseph Caro, which lived in the 16th century. The sages agreed that Jesus did perform miracles, but just tried to cast doubt on the power he was using. In a lot of cases, what people don't understand, too, is that when you read the Bible, Jesus said that it's his father's that's given him the, the authority and ability to do this kind of stuff. And a big case is in Daniel, the book of Daniel, when they talk about the Son of Man or the Son of God going to the Ancient of Days, the, that Son of Man, that Son of God person, that that you know, the one that was coming from the clouds, that was to be a divine figure, you know, the messianic figure that numerous Jewish people believed. 
<clears throat> and that is the authority that was given to Jesus. He even stated that he was from that prophecy. So when all of this has come to fruition, he comes out, he challenges the rabbis, he tells them how their interpretations are wrong, and because they're being discredited, humiliated, <clears throat> and being disproven for their um, teachings, <clears throat> the Jewish people go to the Roman government and discredit him and want him to be crucified because they feel he's a danger. <clears throat> so... One of the biggest things that we're going to go through is, do we believe in three gods as the rabbis claim? They draw near to me, hear this from the beginning. I have spoken in secret from the time it came to be. I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Isaiah forty-eight sixteen. <clears throat> there is a rumor going around that the New, <clears throat> New Testament Supposedly believe, uh, supposedly teaches a belief in three gods. To begin with, it's important to understand that this is a false rumor. It does not exist by accident. It is based on deliberate brainwashing that has been pushed for 2,000 years. Its purpose is to be presented by the New Testament as pagan. For example, the false statement of Rabbi Daniel Balas in the Hidabrut website claims that Jesus uh, claims that believers in Jesus believe that there are three different gods according to their belief the creator of the entire universe is nothing but three gods but God uh, God is one the prophet Isaiah said thus says the Lord the king of Israel is the redeemer and the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides there is besides me there is no God. The mystery of the word Yahweh or YHWH there are three steps, each existing by itself, nevertheless they are one. They are united, one cannot be separated from the other. The same is um, holy and the ancient one. It appears as three heads within one. And he is the head, elevated three times. The ancient Holy One, described as three, and the other lights, which is which are delegated in his source, which are included in the three. Uh, sounds like a Christian quote, but it's not. This is a quote from the most prestigious book of the rab the rabbi rabbinical. Mysticism, straight out of the Jewish book of the, of the Zohar. O hear, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord God, uh, the Lord is one. Note that the name appears three consen uh, consecutive times. The Jewish Zohar explains the expression, O he hear, O Israel, the Lord our God the Lord is one, is actually three who are one. Only through faith in the vision of the Holy Spirit, the mystery of the 
audible voice is similar to this. For there is one yet consists of three elements, fire, air, water. The truth is that the Jewish book of the Zohar goes in great depth in the subject that calls Harazdi uh, Shalosha, the mystery of three, about the nature of one God who is with three dimensions persons. The Zohar refers to God as three heads, three spirits, three ways of appearance, three names and three shades of interpretations that describe the divine nature, though it would be interesting to know if um, Rabbi Daniel Ballas intends to accuse the uh, Jewish book of Zohar of being pagan Christian book. <clears throat> Isaiah forty-eight sixteen, draw near to me, hear this, from the beginning I have not spoken in secret, from the time it has came I have been there, and now the Lord God has sent me, his <coughs> and his spirit. Is God saying that Yahweh sent himself together with his spirit? Genesis one sixteen, and then God said, let us make men in our own image after our likeness. Does God speak to himself in a plural form? Now we can go on to quote more verses and scriptures, but what we need to understand is from the writings of the Jewish sages and of course from the New Testament, all indicate that one God can manifest himself three different persons. But you understand the idea. God loves uh, the humanity he created. He took on flesh to demonstrate that great love for us and sacrifice his own life on the cross to take our own sins so that we would not be compelled to worship him out of fear or out of legalistic religious duty, but in response to his love and gratitude for what he has done on our behalf. When we understand the concepts of Christ and we understand everything that Jesus has done for us and the reason why the Bible explains this and the reason why the Old and New Testament go hand in hand and then people will go into the Talmud and the Zohar and all these different books to try to con contradict and corrupt the teachings and beliefs of numerous believers by going into ancient Sumerian belief systems that have very similar, almost identical stories to the Bible, but state that those are borrowed stories from the Bible, are simply being ignorant in the fact that the very people that were in the Abrahamic religion, Abraham himself, was called out of that faith. Why was he called out of that faith? Because it wasn't the right one. So we understand now what rabbis believed, what the Bible teaches us, what Jesus is, how he is, and why he is. <clears throat> and for all of that, we understand how multiple different books have come out throughout the years from Gnosticism to um, 
many different cases of multiple different religions and their own beliefs by Jewish sages and contemplative rabbis that wanted to not only discredit Jesus, but eliminate him from the thoughts and beliefs of numerous people. This has always been a plan from the adversary from the very beginning to discredit and to alleviate, um, to dismember him from our lives. Because without him, we have no salvation. We will live in our own sin. And many people believe the sin that we live in is freedom. But that is not freedom. It is a ball and chain that we need to break through. And the only person that has the keys to break that, that chain from that prison that we're in is Christ himself. So I beg you to pick up your Bible, read it, an hour a day, even if you do it for 30 minutes a day, just read your own Bible and start understanding what Jesus has done for you personally. Thank <laughs> you.